Hello, and welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. In today's episode, we'll be continuing our discussion of Chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we'll be considering the devastating and far-reaching effects of human sin and corruption. If you have any comments or questions about our show, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can email us at 1A, that's the number one, the letter A, at firstpresscolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. I'm your host, Josh Squires, and joining me, as always, is Josh Fleming. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Pleasure to be with you guys again. And Mark Capper. Hey, guys, as always, love to chat with you all. And uh, our uh, guest from far away, but we all know him, that's Josh Adair. Josh, how you doing? Good to be here, and I'm doing well. Thank you, Josh. Good. It's been a while since we've done one of these. We took the holiday break seriously. We really, we really wanted to break, and so well, not in all of life, though. I mean, I mean just, no, just yeah. from one A, we took a well, good. Well, okay. well, it's, it's like We've a bunch of interns have, have some right? things to do. Mm, oh man! But it's nice to be back with y'all. Mm. It is okay, Fleming. Help us. Where are we picking up? Well, fellas, we're talking about something we can all identify with, uh, sin. We're in chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the last time we got together, um, it was we looked at the first two sections of this chapter, and we, we kind of got the idea of, of God's—we talked about his, his sovereignty even over sin, even over the fall, even over uh, these things that are so broken in the world— and then we also talked about um, sort of the, some of the results of sin, the broken fellowship with him, communion lost with him because of it. So today I was thinking, yeah, let's let's keep pushing in this chapter a little bit and, and see where we go. Um, I, I was thinking maybe we'll, we'll jump in here, section three. Section three. We, we finished section two last time, so that's right. we're picking yeah, up so we're chapter picking, three, section, uh, or, uh, chapter, chapter six. six section section three. three of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we're thinking through how does this, how does this document, this... Uh, several hundred year old document apply to us today and, and particularly counseling issues and things like that. So here I'll, I'll give us section three. I'll, I'll read it out for us and we can okay. start, start discussion from there. It says they being the root of all mankind talking about the original parents, Adam and Eve, the guilt of this sin was imputed and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. Yeah. So there are a couple of key elements to this section. It's very small as compared to maybe some of the other sections sure. that yeah. we've, we've seen. We've looked at some things that are a little more wordy. Yeah, yeah. That one didn't quite tongue tie me. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. <laughs> but it also means maybe we don't have quite as much to say on this section except to highlight maybe some of these pieces. Mm. Uh, first off is the word imputed, which comes uh, at the end of kind of that that first section, um, the guilt of this sin was imputed. Uh, so imputation is the concept that something that is done by one then is applied to multiple. Okay, so the 
analogy that people can kind of gravitate towards in this that, that I've seen, especially in the counseling room, is that of a sports team. Okay. Where it, no matter what sport you watch, if it's basketball or or football or whatever, if someone commits a foul, one person on the team commits a foul. Right. The entire team is penalized for right. that foul. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just that individual that's penalized. And so the the guilt of the one person is imputed to the entire team. Now, there's a reason why they want to make sure to bring in imputation here at this point, because there's going to be a reflection of this when we get to the second Adam, mm-hmm. which is Jesus. And so we're going to run into imputation again, somehow that something yeah. that was done that we did not do is still accredited to us. Right. Right. And is actually efficacious for us. Spoiler. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's helpful to have that as part of the framework looking forward. Like, I can feel like most people are trying to react against this idea, but actually, there's actually great hope in it when you consider how it works on the other side. That's yeah. right. If, mm. if sin can't be imputed, if it's up to you, if you are born in a state of innocency, mm. as some want to claim, and you are not sinful until you engage in your first sin, then you can't also have righteousness imputed to you. Mm. Mm. Right? You can't say, well, I don't, want, I don't want this imputed to me, even though I'm on team human. Right. Right? But I do want this imputed to me. Right. Because mm-hmm. I'm on team faith. Yeah. Right? So you got to get to work. Yes. It's all up to you. It's all, yeah. And that's a scary place. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you know yourself. That's. Yeah. And it's not like a balance system where it's like, hey, if I do these many good things. Right. And I do 10 good things to every one bad thing, well, then I'm going to heaven. No, no, no. God is so holy that the one bad thing, let's say it's one in a million. Let's say you've only ever done one bad thing. That's it. Mm. It's game over. Yeah. Right. That, that he's so holy as he cannot be in the sight of sin. That's just who he is. And so you need to either be able to say you have lived a completely sinless life or the imputation of someone who has. You know, the interesting thing about that, and I know I have heard that, um, you know, objection before and that explanation that like, well, no, you know, even if you only sin once, that's enough to condemn you to hell forever. And people kind of want to say like, oh, that's not fair. Like it's just one sin, you know, compared to a whole bunch. It's like, yeah, guys, but that's just theoretical you no yeah. one has ever just <laughs> right. sinned once right mm. we have you know countless sins that we have committed against god it's just for example yeah. any sin against god is worthy of condemnation but we all have a myriad of sins that we have committed and we all stand justly condemned um just in our own sin yes and in fact we'll talk more about that here in a section to come about how we all sin. We're mm. all sinners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, that's the other fun thing about uh, this idea of imputation uh, is I've, I, I like the sports analogy you used. I've always heard a political analogy. Um, so like I lived for a year in the Middle East and uh, one of my favorite questions all of my Muslim friends would ask me uh, uh, because it was in a majority Muslim context was – the idea was like, why do the American people hate the Middle East so much? And I was like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't hate the Middle East. I'm here. And what I came to realize was like, 
when when a segment of the world experiences uh, a certain policy from one group of heads of state that that represent a nation, is the idea that like whether or not I as an American person actually represented or thought what all the heads of state previous to me had thought about the Middle East. I was imputed their views because of my representative head. And so I, right. I think that's the other side of imputation is that it's like, yes, the good news is that uh, if you want the imputation of Christ's righteousness, you have to recognize the imputation of Adam's sin. Um, but it also just tells us that this is how God sees us and how Romans talks about it. We're all either in Adam or in Christ. There's no middle ground here. Um, yeah. Like you, you, are, you are identified with your head. Uh, and some people might not like that because we live in a democracy where we feel like we can choose our representative heads. But the fact is that, like, there's actually really great good that can be done through a representative head as demonstrated by Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so second part of this little section uh, that's so important. And the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity. That's just a antiquated word for Mm -hmm. everyone in their lineage descending from them by ordinary generation. That's a, that's an odd phrase, ordinary generation. Why do you think the Westminster divines chose ordinary generation in this instance? They've got something in mind. (laughs) (laughs) They do. They're, They're thinking of Jesus. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. 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 There's, there's one who is not ordinarily generated. He is supernaturally generated. And yet also belongs to their posterity. Yeah, and is completely human, and yet does not have the corruption of sin Mm. imputed to him. He is sinless in his nature. And here, in just a second, we're going to read section four, which tells us what being corrupted in your nature means and why that's so important. It's, It's actually incredibly important to understand the nature of sin in you Mm. rather than just the action of sin. Um, But they want to make sure to reserve Christ's sinlessness and and not make any sort of error that might somehow then allow someone to say, oh, well, Jesus was born of a woman who was obviously of the lineage of Adam and Eve. Right. And therefore Mm -hmm. he must have, if you're going to say that sin is imputed to all life, then you must say it's Christ. No, no, no. Christ is not ordinarily generated. He's mm. supernaturally generated. That's great. So any other thoughts on that? You want to move? Let's look into the section four now. It says, From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, from that do proceed all actual transgressions. Gosh, this is so rich. This is so good. Because when we think of sin, what do we think about? We we think about the actions, the transgressions themselves. Yeah. Right. And so we tend to think of ourselves as sinners because we have engaged in sinful actions. Right. Mm. Right. And and what the Westminster Confession here is saying is and listen to this absolute language. It's beautiful, but it's it gives you no quarter mm-hmm. to go anywhere else. Utterly indisposed, disabled, made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to 
all evil. Mm. That is who we are in our nature now. We, we, we don't have a tendency by ourselves to want to do good. So this is contra to pretty much every counseling theory in the 20th and 21st century. Yep. Which comes from a humanist perspective that basically says, hey, if you just had the right context, you would grow into your most actualized self. <laughs> you would actualize all of your potential. What, Josh, what does that word actualize mean? <laughs> <laughs> Are, is this a serious question? Yeah. I mean, okay. for all the non-counselors that might listen to this. Sure. You know? How are they using? Yeah, right. Great, great question. Um, I always forget how much of my counseling knowledge is just assumed. Um, <laughs> so there is an entire group of humanist psychologists, really from the 1950s and forward, who would say that we as humans have potential for all of this good, to, to do all of this good for the world, a very idealist view of who we are and to actualize is to actually come into in actuality that potential mm. so that we are our smartest selves. We are our most giving selves. We are most satisfied selves. We are ourselves, which are helping not only ourselves, but all of humanity to attain to their highest good. And that happens um, when we have the right set of circumstances. Interestingly, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Wars, or it's not Star Wars, sorry, Star Trek, um, all the Trekkies now will murder me. Yeah. <laughs> it, when I don't show we, up. We've got to edit that out. Yeah, or else you're yeah, in trouble. I'm literally going to die. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> My house will be firebombed. <laughs> I mean, the George Lucas fanboys aren't going to be happy. That's either. true. That's you true. Got, Everyone's going to be mad. Yeah. Oh, this is for Jar Jar and Spock. <laughs> But Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star Trek, he was really bought into this idea. In fact, so bought into this idea that when they launched um, Star Trek The Next Generation as the second series, television series, he said to the writers, there can be zero conflict on the spaceship because humanity by this point has reached its potential not to have conflict within itself. Mm. Wow. wow. Yeah. And so for the first season, what you see is the writers trying to make sure there are no conflicts wow. between the members of this crew because he's bought into this humanist idea. It ultimately isn't sustainable, no. right? No. And therefore, it, it melts away because we know it is just a fantasy. Yeah. Oh, there, yeah. There's no way in this sinful fallen world we can believe that humans can get to the place where they have no conflict with each yeah. other. Mm. And the other problem is, is that humanists and others, when they try and think of what's wrong with the world, when they don't realize the answer is me in that G.K. Chesterton mm. sort of way, right? right? Mm -hmm. that, that old, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not. I've never been able to find a primary source on it. But apparently, you know, there was an essay contest at the early part of the 20th century, just before the First World War, where uh, a London newspaper asked what's wrong with the world and these various essayists would make contributions as to what's wrong with the world right now. And G.K. Chesterton said, dear sirs, mm. the answer is me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, G.K. Chesterton. Mm. So when you don't have that as your root, hey, I'm, I'm the problem, and the problem is because I'm a sinner, 
And instead, you've got everything else. Oh, it was all this context. And if only I was right. raised in the right place by the right people at the right time with the right resources, everything would be mm. great. Right. You're always kicking against the goads. Mm. Right. You're always kicking against something, and then there's always something else. It's it's fantasy. Yeah. To think that you're going to end up creating some sort of societal system that will take care of all of humanity's problems because the problem resides in us. This doesn't belittle or ignore the fact that you could have experienced real trauma in your life. Either. Right. That's correct. But it does. It's, it's just how we respond to things, how we, everything we do is colored by our sin nature. So it's like, yeah, because of the brokenness in the world, things, bad things do happen to you from outside as well. Yes, that's right. Mm. But then I turn and make the situation worse by my own sinfully sin. reacting. And so it's like, you can't even, I mean, bad things do happen. I mean, you, yeah. You have your counseling. I mean, you hear the worst of the worst, I'm sure. Yep. For those of you who, you guys, Josh as well, who practice in counseling frequently. But our, our response also is right here, what they're telling us. It's, it's in our nature, wholly inclined to all evil. That's right. So, And that's not to say that you don't need to be able to get out of bad situations into better situations. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, especially if there's abuse involved or anything like that. It's just to say that there is no mm. innocency in any situation. Yeah. Right. There's no 100 zero in any situation. Mm. It might be 99 one, I guess I've not ever seen that, but I'm sure that that might exist out there, but it's never a hundred percent zero. And it's because we all have a sin nature. Um, and therefore our, our sinfulness is involved to some degree or another. Mm. And, and I think maybe just to clarify that, I, I think potentially <laughs> there are situations where <laughs> human to human, it can be a hundred percent to zero, but even if really we are entirely innocent towards someone else, and we're I Mark, I, I'll challenge you on this. I don't know of a single. I've been counseling for fifteen years, human to human. I don't know of a single instance. Man, where it's 100% zero. I don't know a single instance. I mean, maybe if you're walking down the street and there's a drive by and you got shot and like you were just walking, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right, but where there's relationship, I don't. I don't know of a single instance where it's hundred percent zero right now. Now let's, let's push into that specifically. Cause I think what people tend to think about is like, well, when you have an abusive yeah. spouse or something like that, well, they might be 98% responsible and your reasonable response might be, you've got to get out of there. You've right. got to get out right, of there and right, you've got right. to get safety. They're not interested in owning their sinful behavior yeah. to make this safe. But the answer and every textbook on abuse will talk about this is that you've got to understand your own nature to reproduce the abuse Mm. that you are a part of Mm. and to become an abuser and your part in the cycle in order to prevent the cycle of abuse from continuing. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, we want to continue to emphasize some of that collective nature that plays into our suffering so that we can see how people, uh, like even even an abuser on one level, if he's a hundred percent responsible, then there's almost like our our tendency culturally is to take those abusers and isolate them as the bad guys and as totally unredeemable in their behavior, and it keeps you from actually approaching them with compassion when you realize that probably what that abuser has experienced is a situation where they were themselves subjugated and abused. And did they learn how to survive in that situation? Yes. 
And what they learned how to survive in was something that actually was was really painful but made the most sense to them right then. And because it's connected to how they survived, yeah. the, the reality is going to be that, like, it's going to feel real scary for them to act in any other way. That doesn't mean that they're not responsible for the pain that they transact upon others, but it means that they must be people who we view compassionately as people who have also suffered, which is why it's so important to, like, talk about that through the 100% zero or, or like the 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 fifty fifty. It's not, it's not that we're saying that. Oh, there's there's a part that we have to emphasize with the victim in those situations as like there's still a part you play so that we can get to a place where change happens. Like no, we have to sort sort of triage things, but uh, and and make sure that they're safe and and things like that. But eventually we get to a place where we talk about okay, like what can we learn about our own interactions from this, so that we could begin to healthy thrive and flourish. That's right. And and this is not victim blaming. And we need to be right. very yeah, right, right, yeah. clear be on this. That, yeah, yeah, yeah this absolutely. Not, when we say 98%, 2%, the 2% doesn't get the accent. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the 98% gets the accent. We would, if, if someone were in front of us and they were the victims of abuse, we would immediately act to try and get them safety, encourage them to inform the correct authorities to the degree to which we are commanded or required to also get authorities we would and our goal is going to be safety for all Mm -hmm. discipline for those who need it and to point all to the safety of christ right absolutely that's that's where we would go without a doubt and as you were saying adair at the same time as we do the triage for everyone involved at some point you have to make the corner where even for the victim, you have to say, okay, how did we get here? What, what was our part in getting to this place? And we have to be able to own that so we don't continue our mistakes in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and Diane Lamberg will say it's when you make that corner, when you move from, okay, we've comforted the survivor, and so now we need to begin to confront anything that we had to do with it. And again, it's a very small piece, right? It's not, it's not huge. We just need to make sure that we understand it. That's when you lose the most people in counseling. They're unwilling to make that maneuver. Because mm-hmm. none of us like to have our culpability and things pointed out or addressed, right? I mean, that's right. Yeah. And, and again, my fear is, is this sounds like we're going right. after, but no, we are no, 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 not no. at all. We're, yeah. we're, we want to be a place of safety and security for them. Right. We, it just, I, I, I seriously in 15 years have not had a single instance where it's been 100% zero yeah. for any relationship. Hmm. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, taking us back to the confession. Yeah. That's why the doctrine of original corruption is at the same time one of the most destitute things we can hear about ourselves, but also one of the most comforting things we can hear about ourselves because on a base level, every single human being that walks into your counseling suite knows I am not who I should be. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is comforting because it's, it's God's way of saying, you know what, you're not, and I'm the physician who can actually heal the problem. Yeah. From a biblical counseling side, this is where Mike Emmelitz three part tight kind of paradigm helps where he uses saint sufferer and sinner. Mm. Yeah. 
And that all three of those parts of us are caught up in each one of our situations. Oh, yeah. Mm. Right? Um, And so there is a suffering part of us that suffers in this situation. There's a saint part of us that knows the promises of God and tries to appropriate faith and God's word. And there's a sinner part of us that lashes out and in corruption acts in ways that are less than what we're called to do. Right. And that happens in every interaction we have. All of those are operative in us. Mm. And, and to think that there's any interaction that isn't touched by sin is not to understand total depravity. Right. Mm. Which I believe we may have talked about that the, in, in our last episode, right. which we did in like 2015. But <laughs> if I remember correctly, we talked we on total, on it, yeah. yeah, we talked yeah. on about total depravity and it's an issue of breadth and not depth. Yeah. It touches average, everything, yeah. maybe not as deeply as some, but it touches everything. Yeah. Mm. All right, y'all ready to move on to yeah, let's, yeah. I, section five? We have, I really want to get to section five, um, so let's, let's jump in there. It says, this corruption of nature during this life doth remain in those that are regenerated, and although it be through Christ pardon, pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. Mm. So it's it's bringing this what we've been talking about, and it's you know it's wanting us to really grasp this idea that even after we're regenerated, even after yeah. we become believers, um, it, it, we're still going to be in the effects and and even actually committing right sin. Yeah. How how would grasping this? I mean, what what does this do for us as we consider section five? I mean, there are a number of things. Um, first and foremost. It is a refreshing reminder. Imagine how disheartened you would be if the Westminster Confession said, those that are regenerated never again sin. Uh-oh. Ooh. Gosh. Right, but it, a lot of times, isn't that how we think? Yeah. It, 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 that somehow, because I'm regenerated or or because my spouse or my church or my pastor or whatever claim to be regenerated, they should never sin. Yeah, I should expect from them uh, perfection. This standard, yeah, yes. perfection. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm. And how how terrible and daunting that would be if that were the reality. Now, what they're doing is they're just bringing forward uh, obviously what Scripture claims in and of itself, right? Especially Romans seven, and I know that there's a reading of Romans seven. I think Schreiner, Tom Schreiner, is one that would say this that this is Paul talking of himself before he was converted. I don't think that's a natural reading of Romans 7. I think that's taking a presupposition that this couldn't possibly be a convert speaking this way of himself and then trying to find a way to excise faith out of Romans 7. Instead, when Paul says, that which I do, I do not do, and that which I would not do, I find myself continually doing, who will save me from this body of death? That is what is preempts the beautiful Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and unless you get the sort of like, gosh, I just can't get away from sin, mm. 8, 1 isn't beautiful. Mm. Right? So this does a couple of things for us. One, it moderates our expectations for others. Mm. Mm. So that we're not expecting perfection 
in our spouses and our children and our coworkers, our community members, our church members, our church leaders. Mm. We know that they're sinners. Mm. And the corruption of sin does continue in them. And uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 82 asks if anyone is able to keep the commandments of God perfectly. And it says no ordinary man is able to keep in this life the commandments of God, but does sin in word and thought and deed daily. Daily, yeah. yeah. So it's it's not even just a, oh, well, this happens, but it happens once a quarter. <laughs> then And then as you grow, it happens maybe once a year. Right. This is no Methodism, yeah. right? And for those that don't know, one of the key principles of a Methodist theology is more and more living a sinless life, which we would agree with. We want to more and more live right. sinlessly, right. but they are unto perfection. Mm. Where some that would be in especially Wesleyan churches, so they would call themselves more more than just Methodist, but Wesleyan, w- would actually say, if you're an elder, you don't sin anymore. Mm. Mm. Right? You've gotten to the point where you don't sin. Wow. And for us, that is completely foreign. Mm. And, and seems like... Uh, blindfolding yourself to your general uh, to your genuine human nature and your beautiful need for God's grace mm. right so it mm. it tempers our expectations for others we expect even regenerate people to sin and to do it daily and to sin against us regularly and then secondly we expect that we shall continue to sin and yet that's not an excuse to continue sinning mm. Mm. That is motivation to seek God's grace through the gospel that we may sin less. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right? So it's a catalyst towards sin killing, not an excuse towards sinning more. Yeah. So the fact that, that we are sinners even after we're regenerated is really key for having correct expectations of this life, this side of glory. Yeah, and I think that to some extent is a comfort to those who are weary in their own sin as well as that I've been a Christian all my life and yet here I just hurt this brother and sister or I, you know, committed this sin against the Lord. Am I, am I really a believer? Well, you know, just the, the comfort that comes from that is that like, no, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and it's not that now we are, totally um free from ever sinning again but it's that um continually when we do fall he is right there um, interceding for us before the father and um offering us forgiveness and renewal and restoration Mm -hmm. have i i don't know if i've shared on this podcast yet my john piper story i don't think so yeah i don't remember so i heard john piper one time uh, talking about how it is that he made it through Tübingen, which for our listeners, Tübingen is a German school of theology that is one of the oldest and therefore kind of most well-respected schools, but is very liberal. Mm. It's very rare that someone goes into Tübingen with a conservative faith and comes out still loving Jesus. Mm. But Piper did. He went to Tübingen and he came out and he was still a conservative Bible-believing person. And so there was a question to him, how did you make it through Tübingen and, and keep your faith? And he said, oh, there was nothing that you know in Tübingen that, that really challenged my faith. And everybody's like, of course, it's John Piper. Nothing in Tübingen challenges John Piper's faith. I wish we all had Piper's faith. And then he followed it up with, 
He goes, you know what really challenges my faith? Uh, no, John, I want to hear this. I mean, it's John Piper. What, what, John, causes you, who preaches some of the most kind of emotionally passionate mm. sermons about loving the Lord, who is as genuine a person as I have ever met, mm. you know, all of his books, any of the sales from his books are uh, uh, given to charity. He bikes in and out to uh, Minneapolis every single day. He lives in a modest house. Like he could be living it up, but he chooses to have more and more resources go to the kingdom. He is a genuine man. So when he says, hey, this thing really causes me to question my faith, all ears perk up. Mm. Okay, John, what is it? What is it that causes you to doubt your faith? And he said, the fact that I sin in similar ways today Mm. in my 70s as I did when I was 18, 19, and 20. Mm. My Mm. own sin causes me Mm. more doubt than anything else. Mm. And you get it. Like, man, you would think after 50 years and uh, being in ministry and writing all those books and living out that sort of lifestyle that he would be as close to sinless Mm. as one might expect a pastor to be right without, without giving him Christ status. And yet as the Westminster confession says, he sins in thought and word and deed every single day. And it seems to be in similar patterns yesterday as today as tomorrow. Hmm. And praise the Lord that the confession is honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it wasn't, I would be destroyed. Yeah. You just stare mm-hmm. despair for sure. Uh, Fleming, Adair, anything you guys want to jump in here with? No, I'm anxious to see where the uh, confession takes us next. Cause mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I need some hope here. No. <laughs> okay. Before we get there, yeah. yeah, this is really just conforming. In case anyone were to think that the Westminster Confession has just pulled this out of thin air, you know, other than the fact that it's grounded in Scripture, which it is. Right. This is actually mm-hmm. a deep theological tradition that comes from Augustine and his fourfold state of man. Mm -hmm. So let's just Mm -hmm. talk real quick. Let's define that real quick so that people have this sense, which is a super helpful paradigm Mm. to think through where we are in relation to sin, both by way of redemptive history and personal relationship with the Lord. Mm. So according to Augustine, the first is... Posse Picari, Posse Non Picari. Now, Posse just means possible. Picari just means sin. So translated means it's possible to sin and it's possible to not sin. In the state of original innocence, mm. our original parents could have chosen to obey God, to submit to his will, and therefore to have had a sinless existence, an existence where sin and death never entered in but they chose to sin. They were given a very real live option. Mm. Mm. Once sin came into the world, it is now non-posse, non-picari, which means it's not possible to not sin. Mm. Mm -hmm. We are slaves to sin. We, by our nature, that's exactly what they're saying, by our nature, we are sinners, Mm. not by our action. Once we're regenerated, it is now posse non picari. What does that mean? It is now possible, possible. to not sin. sin. Not 
um, it is now no longer sin. Non posse picard. Yeah, non posse picard. It's not possible to sin, which which is the ultimate state's glory. Right. Right? Mm. The hope that we have. That's right. For the future, yeah. That's right. Mm. Instead, what we're saying is it's now, we are now have the free live choice to not sin. No. But we shall still sin. It's, no. It is a possibility again. Right. For us to not sin. Those who are not regenerated, it's not a possibility for them. Mm. That yeah. means they can do a lot that we can look at objectively as good, right? You might have really good neighbors that are unbelievers, mm. right? But it's not good in the moral sense. Right. How could it ever be? Yeah. Yeah. It's Done impossible. That, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's impossible morally for them to do good because all good increases love of God and increases love of neighbor. Isn't mm. it? Hebrews, I think, says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's right. So and then and then ultimately we get to that final state where it is now non posse picari. It's now not possible to sin. Yeah. Our wills will be perfectly in line with God's will. Mm. How wonderful will that be? Yeah. Every single Amazing. action Yeah, every single action will be an action of our desire. It will be an action that we want to engage in, and it happens to also be the action that God wants us to engage in for us. Every single time, mm. man, that's going to be awesome. Yes, yeah. yeah. can't wait for that. So yeah. this is this is merely telling people that you are now in a place where you are passing on Picari. You it is now possible for you to not sin mm. as somebody who is regenerated, but st- mm. sin still lives inside you. Yeah, mm. that's good. I was hoping we'd get some Latin in today, so, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm good for. I may not be good that's for... That's when you know you're else. really counseling. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many Latin paradigms I make my counselees do. <laughs> for some reason, focus, they don't focus. ever... Yeah, they don't ever no. come back after that. <laughs> and my answer for that has been, it must be 100% effective. That's right. So, you're doing really good. Yeah. You're doing some good work. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, we'll just take a quick... Look here at section six of chapter six. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God, and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Yikes. Yeah. What is that telling us? I guess a quick summary is because of all of our sin that we commit, uh, whether under the guilt of Adam's sin or our own sin. Yeah, original and actual, yeah. We are all deserving of God's eternal wrath and all of its spiritual, mm. uh, temporal, and eternal miseries. That's right. Um, it, it It's saying that it's not just a transgression. Right. It's not accumulation of transgressions. Every. Right, so every sin, mm-hmm. and notice being original—that is, that the original sin transmitted, imputed to us, or actual, the actual engaging in a sinful action—are transgressions of the righteous law. And what do they deserve? Well, they deserve God's curse, and so we're made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. So, so there's again, there's no way out. Mm. Right. In it's trying to continue to create 
the um, no exit clause about who we are and because of who we are, what we deserve. Mm. You can't get to the beauty of the gospel unless you're absolutely convicted of the Mm. filth. That's right. That is your own sin and and yourself because of it. Yeah. Mm. You can't get the good news if you don't actually Mm. appreciate the bad news and and understand and digest the bad news. Mm. And that they're, they're bringing us, they're bringing the bad news big here in chapter six. Yeah. Mm. You know, and, and again, going back to the Piper story for a second, every day older I am as a Christian, the more the bad news hits, the more it is bad news. I continue to be this. I continue to deserve this. I can't Mm. believe I'm not done with that sin yet. Mm. And yet the contrast is made all the more bright as my sin becomes darker. The gospel becomes lighter Mm. Mm. as one becomes more putrid. The other becomes more life. Yeah. Mm. Right, and that's just the that's just the natural progression of the Christian life. Um, that's good. And so, you know, if you're listening to us and you're thinking, "Man, y'all are some Debbie Downers today," <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, yes, yes, indeed. But there's the beauty of the gospel, yeah. which is that God chose to send His Son. Not because of anything you did, mm. not because of how beautiful you are, well connected you are, smart you are, resourced you are, but because of his own love, God the Father, because of mm. his own love, sent his son mm. who is perfect in righteousness and fulfilled the law, never transgressed once in 33 years, yet chose to die placarded, uh, uh, our sins placed upon him like you would like a sandwich board when you're wearing mm. it on the street corner, mm. right? Mm. Our, our sins were placarded upon him. And God's holiness is so holy that the moment that that happens, not even for his own son can he help but pour out his wrath. Mm. And he took the wrath of the world, and the world in this sense means all of his people, mm. in that moment so that we now have his righteousness. So, so if you're in a dark place because you hear from us that you are a sinner, mm. that you are a sinner not because of your action, but because of your very nature, that you do not quit sinning, that this side of glory, even if you regenerate, you continue to sin. Glory in the fact that God knew all of it. Every single instant of sin, not a single one of them was a surprise for him, and he chose to die for you mm. in order that you might be with him. Mm. So... Our sins are many, and his mercy is more. That's yeah. right. Amen. Yeah. I was going to say, when y'all read this, I was thinking, whereby we're bound ever to the wrath of God and curse of the law, made subject to death, spiritual miseries, temporal miseries, and eternal miseries. It just makes me think of that Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, the second verse. No more let sin and sorrows reign, nor thorns infest the ground. Mm. Because where our sin and curse are, Christ comes and... and uh, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Like there's no place in our lives that this God in his own kind nature and love in the gospel does not seek to bless people who don't deserve it. And that's just beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. 
I think we have made it through one of the darker yeah. chapters of the confession. What a way to come back from the holidays. Wow. All right. Mm-hmm. Just jump And we right ended with, with the Christmas feet. song. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, there you go. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Full circle. Circle mm. of life, Simba. Mm. Full circle of life. <laughs> so when we get back. We're going to get in chapter seven. We got Covenant. Some good, some new good news coming. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. All right. Well. For Josh Fleming, Mark Capper, Josh Adair, I'm Josh Squires. Thanks for listening to 1A. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us. You can contact us at 1A at firstpreszcolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpreszcolumbia.org. And until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.